Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and today we've got Kevin Murphy on the show. I've known Kev for quite a few years now. We were on the Marina Natural History course in Falmouth together, same year as, as Sam and Jackie Poon and a few other kind of notable names. And he does a little bit of everything and he's worked in the wildlife filmmaking industry. And we're going to talk a little bit about is it possible to be an eco-photographer, e.g. are there things you can do to be more sustainable, possibilities of going vegan, about travel and things like that. So we're going to chat about that with Kev. Also, he's just released a book called Not So Fluffy. And the book is all about animal taboos, weird behaviours. You've got things like you've got things like penguins that greet each other with, with incest. You've got uh, octopuses that shoot their dicks off at each other. I absolutely love it. It's not the sort of thing you're going to see on Blue Planet. But I love this kind of twisted, dark humour. But it's all based in facts. So we're going to chat about that kind of stuff. But first, I'm going to do the news. Now... This caught my eye, it was in BBC Wildlife this month's issue, and it's about cuttlefish that choose one food over another, they get picky. So biologists from the French National Centre for Scientific Research and the University of Cambridge, they managed to train cephalopods, uh, namely cuttlefish, that they would get shrimp in the evening. And the cuttlefish then remembered that, and then when they got to fed crab in the day, they wouldn't eat as much or they wouldn't eat the crab at all because they knew they were going to get something a little bit nicer. It's a bit like someone trying to give you some broccoli, uh, give you a huge plate of broccoli when you know you're going to get that lovely Ferrero Rocher or, or whatever you like to eat. Insert your favourite food later on. So I think that's amazing that a, a mollusk can actually predict that it's going to get better food and that is absolutely incredible. It shows that they can plan for the future because they don't want to fill up on something they don't particularly like when they know they're going to get something that they will like. Pauline Billard, the first author of the study, calls it mental time travel, which is a brilliant way of explaining it. An ability to imagine the future and act accordingly in the present. So we've got picky cuttlefish. What more do you want? Anyway, that brings me on to the main interview with Kev. So this is how me and Kev got on when we had a chat. So, Kev, thanks for joining me. No problem. We're going to talk about a couple of things today. Uh, Firstly, about being an eco-photographer, if there's such a thing, but then also your book, which I can't wait to talk about because I love just the weird shit that you've shoved in there. So to start with, uh, you're you're a vegan, aren't you, right? Are you still a vegan? Uh, For for the most part, I do my best. Um, But then sometimes, you know, you go over people's houses and, you know, you want to be polite and... Uh, I'm not too militant with it, but I, you know, I, I, I try and do my best. Yeah. And uh, occasionally there's, there's the odd slip up with, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, going over people's houses and uh, having no options when you go out for dinner and things like that. So yeah, no, that, that, that's fair enough because basically the, the, the question someone posed to me the other day and I was thinking about it, which wanted me to make this podcast was wildlife photographers talk about being incredibly ethical and trying to save the environment. And then, you see someone who spouts all that and then they jet set halfway across the world to go and do, you know, the Serengeti, all that pollution they're pumping out or others who talk about it. And then, you know, they're eating unsustainable food sources. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that you're perfect. And I'm not saying that we have the answers either. We're just going to, we're just going to talk this through today, but I just thought it's a question that is interesting and it's worth talking about. So what, what made you want to go, I'll do vegan inverted quotes, uh, what made you want to do that? Because I remember at uni you were 
in like late night kebabies shoving chicken, oh, you know, in animal. every orifice. Absolute animal, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, you know, it, uh, embarrassing <laughs> to, a, <laughs> to a point. Obviously, I absolutely love the taste of meat. It's not because it's it's gross and, and things like that. Uh, obviously, if there was a way that I could have a zero carbon footprint and, and eat it and not hurt an animal, then I would. Because, you know, there's people growing things in labs at the moment. Obviously, there's there's uh, it's not quite the same as meat at the moment. It, it was a couple of things, really. It was um, it was a few documentaries. There was one in particular it was the guy uh, who made the cove, which uh, okay, that that just blew my mind. Um, and honestly, I would rather eat terrestrial meat rather than uh, food from the ocean because you know, out of sight, out of mind. It's underneath in this little alien place. There are all these big, just little fish swimming away. That you know, they're they're all the same. That that's you know quite often how they're seen, but. Um, and the fishing industry, it's just, just awful sometimes. Well, my, um, my, my girlfriend's dad's a trawlerman, or he was a trawlerman, and we went out, I don't know if I told you this story, but we went out on a boat, and he, he shoved it, because I thought it would be really interesting to see how they do it. It's not something most people get to see. And they, drink, they drag in these massive nets, and it's full of like spider crabs and all these weird and wonderful crabs. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, right, it's mallet time. And he just gets this massive hammer and starts fucking smashing these crabs because yeah. he can't be asked to pull them out. So he's just going, bam, bam, bam. And like, I get quite seasick anyway. So the smell of like crab <laughs> guts all over me, seeing these crabs. And I just thought, because they don't even eat, half the time they're not big enough to, to eat. So they're just getting smashed for laziness. And I was just like, it, it did make me think, oh, you know, so I, I'm really careful what, what fish and shellfish I eat now. I try not to eat much of it. I still do eat fish, uh, but yeah, like you say, it's different when it's maybe a little lamb or a little piglet, and everyone's like, ah. But oh, they're yeah. so adorable, and then <laughs> yeah. you know. you've got this crab that comes out, and people maybe don't think the same about that. But I was just like, I did feel quite quite sorry for them. Yeah, there's um, and you know, people people don't know those things. I I, I don't know the actual figures, but more often than not, when people are trawling, there's the bycatch is like far outweighs the actual catch. Mm. And in some places, new species have been discovered because of fishing. They've been killed, either thrown back in or or brought into a market and uh, sold over the counter as a a certain species. There was was a story uh, in, I think it was Morocco. They discovered like a new species of thresher shark just sat on a bed of ice. Um, I, I can't, remember that it was it was a short documentary i saw at wild screen um two years ago and uh it's just very depressing when you see that kind of thing like these beautiful new species sharks in particular is is one of the things that you know it, it was sharks that got me into wildlife full stop you know yeah um, it's funny isn't it because at the end of the day they are just a big big fish but sharks seem to be above others don't they like so so I'm, I'm quite a keen angler, but I wouldn't fish for sharks. Yeah. It shouldn't make a difference because it's just, you know, what's the difference between that and a little, you know, guppy or something. But yeah. they're both fish at the end of the day, but I wouldn't, they're it just these... does, doesn't interest me, you know. Yeah, they're, they're just these apex predators that, you know, the the ecosystem's so sensitive and then having something that has such a huge effect on the food chain and getting rid of those, what is it, like 90% of the sharks have, you know, the, the numbers have reduced to, 
ten percent over the yeah. last few years. Yeah. Well, you've got all the uh, squid coming, haven't you? The Humboldt squid. Um, don't give me this. <laughs> because like, they, I, the sharks kept them down, and now there's no sharks. So you've got these, uh, you know, nine foot long killer squid coming out of the ocean, trying to fuck everything up. Like I absolutely love everything in the ocean, and there's there's not many things that I wouldn't get in the water with. But those things can they can piss off. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're so scary. And so strong, it's, uh, yeah, and the swarms, you know, you see um, some of the documentaries with those and the people who have, like, fallen off boats into a swarm and things like that, it's just... Oh, what, have they killed people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? In, oh. um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I can't 100% say that yeah, there's, there's people who have... It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Hands ...and they're covered in scars and yeah. their beaks are, like... Yeah, 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 big old, big old beaks. They're, they're enormous, yeah. I always remember diving around Pendennis and I know, I know there aren't Humboldt squids there, but you're, I'm always a bit like, what the fuck's yeah. looking at me when I'm, when I'm under the water? I know there's nothing's going to get you, but you yeah, can't when help the but think it. Yeah, like below, below 10 metres and you can just see this bluey green colour and, uh, you know, you know in the UK for people who are a little more informed that there is pretty much nothing out there that can seriously hurt you. Um, you still have that bizarre fear of... of the, I, I get it in swimming food. pools, you know, or, or the bath sometimes. <laughs> I'm just a bit like... Oh. <laughs> yeah, you, like I, when I was a kid, there was like even a drain. I, I was scared to go in swimming pools. I'd be like, maybe there's dangerous fish in, in these little drains and things like that. But, you know, I I absolutely adore being in the sea. It's it's one of my favourite things. Even that big open expanse, when, when I'm in the ocean, I can't see the floor. I get a real... Yeah, oh, you really, like that, do you? Yeah, it's really yeah. strange. It's a bit um, masochistic, I guess, but it's uh, it's I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I've done it with. Well, we were going to do blue sharks, weren't we, a few years ago? And it, and it and yeah, we I were. Think the, the storms um, stopped us doing it, but I, I did it a, a few years later, and I, I sort of understand what you're saying because when I was in the water with that, because you can't see the bottom because it's you know 100 meters yeah. or whatever, and you know the sharks there because you've chummed them in, and you just can't help but think. <laughs> the apart yeah, starts I mean, pounding a little bit. You're like, oh, there's a shark somewhere. Yeah, there's a there's a little more uh, there's a little more at risk when you're when you're out in the open like that. I mean, when especially when you're chumming for for sharks because you know they're they're not the biggest sharks out there, but they're still pretty. Oh yeah, I mean, the, I, mean I think the biggest <laughs> big, biggest one we saw was seven foot, but I think blues they get bigger than that. I think. Yeah. So because it does get the heart going. Um, the other thing, of course, is is not apart from veganism is that is the travel. We mentioned a little bit about that, but I know this carbon offsetting. But you, because you've gone, you've been all over the bloody place. I know you're so you're based in Bristol now, but you, yeah, you've worked all over the the world, haven't you? Really? Yeah, there's you know I, I do a fair amount of event work that that takes me to to some cool places, and you know that I, I went off to actually with a with a carbon offsetting. Uh, rainforest conservation company called Cool Earth, conveniently based in Falmouth, where on on the campus. Oh, okay. They're an amazing charity, but they um, I kind of went out there with them to kind of see what they were doing firsthand and all the carbon offsetting and how much they're kind of encouraging and helping the locals and putting it in their hands. So yeah. all the all the uh, that they've got a, a tribe in particular that they work with called the Ashaninka, which are this um, just this rainforest community that uh. Uh, in Peru, I'm pretty sure uh, they go as far as Equ- not up to Ecuador, but they're they're in the Amazon, 
um, but I, I can't remember how far they go. But um, yeah, you see it, the, the charity are kind of putting it into the local community's hands. They're helping educate them. And it's one of those charities that you, well, I, I really saw firsthand where, where it was all going and they physically plant trees for people. They put little plaques on there and um, it, it was amazing. It, it, it was, uh, they're, they're a really good company and um, their, their carbon offsetting is, is impressive. The, over the last few years, they've planted millions of trees. I mean, it's crazy that uh, I, I saw a stat in, again, I think this was BBC Wildlife magazine this month, but it said 5% of the world's population has flown in a plane, only 5%, yet flying is the fastest growing contributor to climate change. With, oh, it's insane. Uh, with planes alone accounting for 25% of all UK CO2 emissions uh, by 2050, that's what they're predicting. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, so I've, you know... I, I, though I can't drive, I, if I could drive, I would do my best to get public transport whenever and wherever I can. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, flying is, it's so bad. And a lot of the time people don't need to do it. Like people fly from London to Scotland where, you know, you can get on a coach. It, it's a bit rubbish sitting on a coach for a few hours, but it's, you know, it, it's not entirely necessary to, to do that flight. Well, I think the the pandemic at the moment is sort of proven that you can get a lot done. Well, not everything, but you can get a lot done at home, particularly like with the meetings. Obviously, we're using Zoom right now. Um, exactly. When people would have flown, you know, to do this sort of thing. And I think, um, I'm not going to talk too much about coronavirus because it's all everyone's talking about at the moment. But I think there's going to be some serious social change after oh, yeah. all of this, just because it's going to make people um, realise what we can and can't do. And environmental as well. You know, the, those pictures of Venice went viral. There were dolphins in, in the uh, harbour there. And even, even in Bristol, like, you know, we've, we've not had many birds on the feeder in the past, over the, but recently we're, we're kind of inundated that we keep running out of food. So this, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, air, air quality great. is improving because there's less cars, there's less planes, so that's getting slightly better. It means that because there's less noise pollution, birds can hear each other better. So yeah. they're going to have more successful breeding season. So, um, yeah, nature's going to probably benefit from this to, to a degree. I mean, that's that's one of the few benefits of it, really. It's um, Yeah, there aren't many, but that's one. Yeah, but, you know, I went out for a coffee this morning and you can't hear any cars. You can't hear any, you know, people going to work and things like that. And, you know, I, I heard about five or six different species that uh, I, I don't normally hear out there. It was, uh, we had some long tail tits with which we've not seen in the garden before. Oh, it's okay. just, um, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It, it's yeah, very, very few benefits, but that is one of the, one of the best ones, I think. It's definitely tricky. I think the whole, um, you know, if you're going to be a photographer and you're going to try and preach what you, what you're saying about, I mean, I, I say I, I eat meat. I, uh, I try and I don't eat as much meat. I, I try and do meatless Mondays and I did a, not quite vegan, but I did a vegetarian month a while ago. I mean, I, I think, I, can, I could be a vegetarian, no problem. That wouldn't really fuss yeah. me. But I mean, I, I try and eat more vegan meals. And I think it's a point of finding meals you enjoy as well. Yeah. Which is entirely and it, possible. And, you, you know, it's, it's really easy to get creative in the kitchen. I'm, I'm not one for, you know, getting overly complicated in there. But my partner is, you know, it's like she's a scientist sometimes. She's mixing vinegar and different <laughs> things and creating, a, you know, a nacho sauce with... Uh, like nacho cheese with like pumpkin and some yeast and 
you know, and it, it's possible. Obviously, it's not not quite there, but yeah, um, it's it's getting so much easier. Like I was over the last few years, I, I've, I've been out to um, been out to Russia to this same city, and you know, the first year as a veggie, it was impossible. You have uh, a baked potato with a side of chips with some dill <laughs> sprinkled on it. But over the years, like last year, they've now got a, a vegan Indian restaurant. I went to um, this, it was a borderline hipster cafe, uh, you know, wouldn't be out of place in, in Bristol. They did soy milk and, you know, vegan cakes and pastries. And, you know, it's even, and that, that's not like Western Russia, that is Mongolia, China way in, in Russia, which, you know, it normally takes a while to get that kind of, um, that kind of thing over that way. But, you know, it's, it's spreading, it, it get, it's getting a lot easier. And I think people are a lot more, um, aware of what they're eating nowadays yeah definitely like if you look even if you look in the uk in the last 10 years i think um it's probably a bad analogy we look at weatherspoon's menu <laughs> and 10 years ago there'd have been maybe one one or two vegetarian meals whereas yeah. now there's there's several and vegan several vegan options as well so there's know, um there's the beyond burger which is um that it's one of the most popular um and and closest to to meat you could possibly get really um, but Weatherspoons are doing Beyond Burgers now, Ve- like vegan burgers that are really good. I remember back in the day, me and you would go and try and get a plate with the most meat on it possible. What was it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Uh, or whatever steak, it was called. Steak, I don't know, yeah, Steak Tuesday or something like that. But yeah, you get those mixed grills. And it was, yeah, it was piled up, wasn't it? Different meats. And, Jesus, you know, yeah. and now, you know, you've got some more uh, environmentally conscious people having some Beyond Burgers in there. It was, it was amazing and cheap as well. I know it, it's Weatherspoons and, you know, it's a, a giant chain and things like that, but every little helps really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's all good. Well, I think we'll, I say there was no real, there was no clear answer to, to the traveling or, or the veganism. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about it, but yeah. what I am more interested in talking about is not so fluffy which is your book. Yeah. So I remember you mentioning this to me years ago and then I sort of forgot it even was happening. And then I saw I, you I, I on Facebook. Well, really. <laughs> it, um, it took a while. It, it's uh, obviously it's been a busy few years and there's been a few people working on it. Like a, a, a friend of mine is, is uh, he's a doctor. So he's the, he's the smart one. Um, and we, we did some research together and uh, we pinned down, I don't know, we've, we've got about 200, 200 behaviours in the, in the barrel. And then we were going through which ones should we do and how many should we, you know, introduce. And then we uh, cherry picked our favourite ones and we were on 72. And I was like, that's far too close to 69 to not be used. Um, <laughs> why, 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 did you, why did you choose 69, Kev? Um, you know, it's just pleasing on the eye, really. Um, it's it symmetrical. Works ways. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it, it kind of um, came from the idea that, you know, there's all these cute and fluffy animals out there that um, you know, people think they're adorable and they want to get them as pets. Um, for it, Like Slow Loris, for example, there's that really famous video of that lady tickling its ribs. Yeah. But, and that, that went viral. People, people went nuts for it and probably more slow lorises were bought as pets because of it. But the reason they do that is because they've got uh, patches that secrete a, like a 
poison like they've got like these poison glands in their elbows oh really they rub it like that and stick their arms up as a defense mechanism and you know they're not quite venomous but they can lick their patches and then bite you and yeah you know there's there's some adorable animals out there that are filthy bastards (laughs) and then you've just got the the hideous nature of uh some other fluffy cute creatures around the home so out of the out of the 69 uh facts are there any that sort of you were like wow that is uh that's pretty weird or or mental um yeah i mean there's there's quite a few but um obviously there's dolphins that are very i think misunderstood sometimes you've got films like flipper and and things like that and if you knew what they really did it would, you know, you'd be scared for the little boy in that film. Um, and uh, yeah, in what in what way? Um, they are gang raping, drug using, you know, <laughs> cross species, you know, cross gender, just fiends. They're uh, so they chew on puffer fish. To, uh, I, I, I think I saw. Was this on? Was that on a documentary or was it not? Yeah, I, I think I have it was. Seen, um, seen so that. yeah, they they they've been seen pretty much seen in a circle, and they chew it to because uh, obviously puffer fish they secrete a, a toxin, um, and they chew it and they release just enough neurotoxin to get buzzed, and they pass it to their next friend. Uh, pass the puffer to the left hand side. This. You pass it around the left-hand side. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they pass it around the little drum circle, um, and then when they're done that, they all stick their stick their bits in whatever will take it really, or won't want to take it. It's um, they're horrible. They, oh no! Yeah, they actually. I, I say Humboldt squid. I'd be scared to get in the water with a group of large male dolphins. Would also be quite scary. I think one of my mates nearly got raped by a dolphin <laughs> which uh i know you can't help but laugh a little bit he didn't i should yeah. just add um but he went out and there's you know you get these in the uk you get these lone male dolphins and we yeah. seem to patrol like the south coast or, or all over um and he was in the water at night i can't remember what he was photographing was, and the dolphin came up to him and he was like oh you know this is awesome and he was photographing it um and he was with it for maybe 20 minutes starting to get a little bit cold so then he went back to shore and the dolphin just grabbed him by the foot and dragged him out. Like, I don't know, for the dolphin, it was nothing, like 10, 20 metres or whatever. And the, the guy's like, oh, that, that's weird. And they started going back to shore again. Dol- dolphin did exactly the same thing. And he's like, what the hell is happening here? So he put his torch, um, he had a little light on his camera, but he put another torch on, and then he could just see this big pink dick poking out from the dolphin. And obviously the dolphin was hoping to have some fun times. Um, big got as a- well. Well, yeah, it's big and angry. Yeah, dolphins. I mean, I'm. Oh, you mean that, the, the dolphins also, big, not not the. I, well, they're both. They're both. <laughs> this big angry pink thing movie. poking out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he got away from it in the end, so I don't know what he had to do to. To he didn't go into any more detail than that, but. Uh, <laughs> That's where the story stopped. His, his eyes mean, just glazed that. over. You've got that, and then on the flip side, there's. Um, I'm not sure if you know the actor Dick Van Dyke. He was. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mary Poppins that story of him falling asleep on a surfboard and drifting out to sea. And then right. he gets brought back into shore by uh, <laughs> a pod of porpoise. Okay. I, you know, he's, I'm, I'm not sure. What, he said that happened. He said that he, yeah, yeah. he fell asleep and then a pod of porpoises saved him. 
yeah, they brought him back into shore. Um, I, think, I think he's been on the puffer fish. Yeah, 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 so do <laughs> I. Maybe they gave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm holding it for a friend. <laughs> uh, I suppose the police aren't going to stop you for having a puffer fish. Maybe that's one way around it. Yeah, oh, true. Man. But, um, so you had 200, so it must have been tricky whittling down because there must have been some you were like, oh, man, I want to keep... Or was it more like, no, no, some of these are a bit naff or... Yeah, there was there were some that, you know, were very obvious. And then there were some that the animal wasn't quite cute enough. There's a few animals that we've kept in there, like uh, Brazilian wandering spiders, for example. They're terrifying looking. They're relatively small. And people think, you know, they're really venomous and they can kill you. But the funny thing about dying with a Brazilian wandering spider bite is that you die with an extremely painful erection. Ah. So... Um, what a way to go <laughs> i mean it could be a worse way to go but yeah uh, yeah that, i mean that one's included just because uh, you die with a boner it's quite funny yeah. um but yeah we, i mean and then there were a lot of other insects and you know there was a certain species do three or four different behaviors and we had to had to pick some of the best ones and you know we need a sequel we need to uh people hanging yeah, definitely. So, are you, are you self-published yeah. this, or are you are you uh, with a publisher? Or yeah, how? at the at the moment, anyway. Um, we, I mean, I must have sent fifty, sixty emails to all these different publishers and literary agents and things like that, and it was just stonewalling. So, we've conveniently used a couple of the um, harsher responses as um, as reviews on the back of the book. <laughs> there was one guy that said. Um, you're never going to find a publisher. It just feels like you're grabbing at random horrible facts and throwing them in. And I mean, sounded like he, he's right because we haven't found a publisher and that's exactly what we did. We found it's not wrong. And yeah, no, he's, I mean, he's doing his job. Well, he knows, he knows what he's talking about. Um, but you know, yeah, we've self-published. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to do it, but we launched it yesterday and, it seems to be going well. People are um, sharing it and excited by it. So it's really nice to see. And, um, you know, it's, it's kept me sane since we've had to be trapped in. Yeah. Uh, doing some research and learning, learning new things and doing it completely by the seat of my pants, which, as you well know, that's how I, how I tend to do things. <laughs> so if someone wants to buy Not So Fluffy, where, where do they get hold of a copy? Uh, you can go to our Shopify store, which is crude-nature at myshopify.com. Or uh, we have an Instagram uh, under crude nature and as well as a, a Facebook page that you can go and like. And there's going to be a lot more content coming. Like, uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you, I'm going to try and do a podcast further down the line. Um, and uh, I'm going to do like a newsletter of all the horrible things that uh, come up in... Uh, you know, a fortnightly period of interesting species that are found, disgusting things that people have seen animals do, um, funny things that people, stupid cat videos, and, uh, you know, try and get the ball rolling and just have a, keep people informed of all the good, bad, and the ugly of uh, the natural world, really. Because people are bored. People need something to do at the moment, and why not laugh, and it sounds tacky, laugh and learn at the same time. <laughs> No, I, I think it's a great idea, mate. And I, I think it's nice that you've you've sort of done, you're doing nature facts, but in a funny way so that people are going to, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got um, 
quite a dark, dry sense of humour. So I think this is great what you're doing. And, you know, who doesn't want to know about dolphins taking drugs and shagging each other in, in the blowholes? So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it is quite interesting. And, you know, we did our course because, A, we love wildlife and, B, some of us weren't smart enough to do the science degrees. And in hindsight, if I could do those, I would 100% do them. And uh, I don't have the patience for photography. So uh, respect to you for, for your... I, you I, I, don't, I don't either. I just make myself do it, really. I'm just like, just, yeah. just get through the day. I mean, literally before we were um, on, on air, I was just filming newts laying eggs in, in my shed um in, in a tank i've got an aquarium set up and the bloody thing wouldn't just i wasn't doing it for days and days and then she just started laying and i was just like i've got a big i've got an interview in in five minutes why the fucking hell are you doing this now you piece of shit yeah um, but she i've got some footage so it's all right but yeah yeah and it, it's just a way of trying to work with trying to work with animals and trying to you know in in a strange way it's making people more aware and understanding animals they're not just these cute fluffy objects they they have personality they do horrible stuff just like we do yeah but, you know we're the worst we're the worst of the bunch and, and that's kind of what the book says it's like yeah regardless of all these horrible things that that animals do we've got war poverty disease and and things like that and you know it's it's insightful uh but funny at the same time and it, it gives me a chance to you know do something i love and that's basically research animals and you know if if i can teach people about animals then it, it's even better but yeah i'm just wasn't smart enough to do a science degree and <laughs> try and help that way so yeah. if i can make people laugh with it then then all the better yeah no i'm with, I'm with you there definitely oh <clears throat> oh god sorry i've just burnt my guts out there um <laughs> i'm gonna keep that in um, <laughs> well i am i am ending it so i'm gonna end on me uh, nearly throwing up so look, mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for the interview. Check out Not So Fluffy. It's uh, it's going to be a great. But I'm definitely going to get a copy off you. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. Great to speak to Kev earlier. That brings me to Nature Reserve of the week, and I've chosen Slimbridge, which is a world wetland site this week. So it was set up by Sir Peter Scott and opened in 1946. 325 hectares of the Seven Estuary is available for you to go and watch lots and lots of wildlife and it's home to many, many birds. In the winter it's full of waterfowl and then in the summer many waders breed there. Buick swans come in close to feed in the winter as well and it's a great place to see them. There are 13 hides in total, one of them, the Kingfisher Hide, overlooks a nest so some years they breed there sometimes they don't but it's a great opportunity for you to safely see kingfishers at the nest site without disturbing them. Slimbridge is also very well known for its cranes and it's a great place to see those out in the wild. Now its facilities are pretty damn good. Top-notch visitor centre you've got educational resources there they've got amphibians and things like that uh, that you can go see exotic and native great food in the cafe they've got a lot of large kind of cafe area there you can get cooked meals uh, cakes which are pretty good all that sort of stuff tea and coffee toilets it's a very very accessible place to walk around um you know you can walk to the hides and things some of them have got steps which you might struggle with but for the most part you're not going to struggle walking around this reserve there's obviously a gift shop uh, parking is pretty damn good as well a lot large kind of area to park it's 15 quid to get in so relatively expensive but if you think about it um, Slimbridge is a cross between a zoo and a nature reserve. 
So you've got lots of captive wildlife there, which give you a great opportunity to practice your wildlife photography skills and see birds close up you wouldn't normally get to see. So you're sort of paying to go see lots of wild native birds, but also some uh, kind of captive, more exotic ones. So 15 quid, I don't think that's too bad. Or of course you can join uh, WWT and get access to that and other reserves as, as much as you like. So I would definitely recommend Slimbridge. It's just on the outskirts of Bristol, kind of between Bristol and Gloucester. So it's well worth a look if you're in the area. And kind of my final thoughts, I have to question sometimes uh, what I what I do as a wildlife photographer and how I can help the environment. And I'm trying to eat less meat. I'm trying to have more vegan meals if I can. I'm well aware that I drive a hell of a lot and it's made me sort of think, well, maybe I should start working more local. Is the things that I can do at home that I don't necessarily have to travel? And I think we can all make a difference to a degree if we just look at, at what we're doing. Um, I, always, I often think that the kind of hard vegan sell is tricky for everyone to do. If you're like, right, you've been eating mate, uh, mate, not been eating your mates. If you've been eating meat for years and years, now you're not going to eat meat at all. Some people are going to struggle with that. But if you can do a day a week without eating meat, everyone could do that. And you could do a day a week without driving. And if everyone did that, it's going to have a slight impact. And I think that's the thing, just to lower what you're doing, just, just that little bit. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.